Good evening. I'm Todd Flanagan with AGP News. Our top story tonight, local man Adam Elnishar in critical condition after being stung by multiple exotic species. But first, let's check in with our correspondent, Brent Spanky with the weather. Brent, how is everything out there tonight? cold! It sounds rough out there. How cold is it? I can't feel my balls! Hate to cut you off, Brent, but we have a breaking story. Local shrimp-based celebrity Joe Tyson, owner of Joe Shrimp Shack, is... And if, if, if I'm getting this correct, single and ready to mingle. Yes, we can confirm that AGP News, that we have entertainment correspondents following the story all week long and can confirm that there's now open applications for your chance for a wonderful date with the celebrity himself, Joe Tyson. Simply go to AquariumGuysPodcast.com at the bottom of the website. You will find the telephone number email address please call in for your chance with the wonderful joe tyson and don't forget this news is sponsored by joeshrimpshack.com where you can save 15 percent off everything in the store using promo code aquarium guys at checkout you know i just love their chola wood joeshrimpshack.com he's not fake news Last few notes before we start the podcast. We have a winner for the J4 Flower Horns giveaway. Congratulations to James W. from Texas. We will be getting that sent out right away. Also, don't forget to sign up for Cobalt Aquatics and Reef Flowers Aquascaping Contest. Be sure to sign up in the form in the show notes below. Submissions officially close December 3rd, so get those in as soon as you can. Again, all are welcome, fresh, and salt water. Let's kick that podcast. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys Podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Today, we are blessed to have Jason from Redfish Bluefish on YouTube join us today. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing great, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. I, I appreciate it, man. Uh, it's been... Uh, you know, a long time coming, and you've been busy setting up a new fish store, you know, trying to uh, get in the market while the uh, leases are still good for COVID. So uh, congratulations on that, by the way. It's looking great. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, you know, COVID-19 hit and kind of freaked everything out. And, you know, a bunch of leases became available. And, you know, I guess I, guess I jumped in. Wonderful. Well, today we're going to be chit-chatting a little bit about tissue cultures, but I am your host, Rob Zolson. Hey, I'm Jim Colby. And I'm Adam Elnishar. Jimmy, it's, yes. it's deer season and it's crazy here in Minnesota. Are you okay? It is. It's deer season. I, uh, I was driving out in the country today. I saw deer hunter after deer hunter after deer hunter. and You know, I, I bought something nice for my ex-wife. I, I gave her a, a nice uh, uh, beanie with some antlers on it and told her to take a walk in the woods and she told me to buzz off. See, it's the only time you get to see rednecks <laughs> in primary colors. That's right. Right. Yeah, they're all matching. It's like it's like a really bad wedding. Like a, where everybody's wearing a bad tux. Really bad wedding. And uh, you're holding up too, Adam, right? Yeah. Did you did you guys hear about the hunter that shot a ten point buck and then shot a three and a half foot alligator at the same time? At the same time? Well, I feel like then, that wasn't in Minnesota. Yeah, it was. Wow. Yeah, it was like, oh, I did not hear this. Okay, it was up by the cities, I guess, or someplace. He saw a 10-point buck, shot it, and then near the watering hole, there was a three-and-a-half-foot gator. 
and he asked the DNR if he could shoot it. They tried to catch it a few times, couldn't catch it, and so he shot it because it was going to freeze to death anyways. Right. So I'm like, well, all he had to do was put a piece of chicken on a treble hook and he caught it, but. Or wait till today when it's well, 25 degrees go out and just pick them up out of the ice. I was, was going to say this morning here. Uh, yeah. So Minnesota, where we're at, we're way up north uh, past Adam. So where we're at, it was 72 degrees. And then today you go outside, it's 31. So the world hates us. That's why everybody's closer to uh, to Jason, you know, where the where the nice weather is like rain. Yeah, we have a lot of that going on. Actually, it's it's been really, really cold. Uh, last couple of days, we had this crazy cold snap this morning. It was gas, 31 degrees, just See? below freezing. Oh, my gosh, the end of the world. We're sharing a little bit of hate with you. So, And where are you located, Jason? I am on uh, South Whidbey Island. Uh, it's a, quite a large island, actually, out in the Puget Sound, about 25 miles northwest of Seattle. That's a lovely place. When I was eight years old, that was the first family vacation we went to is Whidbey Island. And I don't know why, but it was lovely and there was deer on the island. <laughs> it must have been. Yeah, there there are that. still tons of deer on the island. Like these Columbia blacktail deer, they're everywhere, man. And they were You'd pretty tame. Like it was, it was something else to look at them. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're still I mean, pretty crazy. They, they walk right up, eat all your roses, poop everywhere and... Maybe we should send Jason an alligator. Right, we'll, we'll send Jason an alligator to get, cure some of the deer. But um, it says uh, we're going to go through some reviews, uh, a review today. We just got another one in. Such great, a great aquarium podcast, five stars. Love the content. Great banner. Just uh, watch the explicits, though. <laughs> we, uh, we, we ran out of ducks, people. We had to upgrade to full-on bleeps, right? <laughs> Sometimes Rob gets excited. We made the, the investment to bleep system. Oh. Yeah, that's how you know for you're that's, making it. So that shows that we've made it now. Exactly. Because we can afford a bleep and not a <laughs> Exactly. I don't know, Jason, if you've heard some of our previous podcasts, uh, when things get out of hand, then we used to have a duck that would quack when somebody said something naughty, but we ran out of ducks. All gone. There's too much naughty. All gone. Oh, yes. Oh. I, I'm very familiar with the duck. <laughs> We ran out of we ran out of all uh, class once uh, the George Farmer episode's out, and then we we can be we can be our, our bad selves again. There we go. So the questions we got a a bunch uh, we addressed last week. We actually got a few caught up, but we did get someone that sent us a text message. So if you ever have a question for us and you want it to answer it live on the podcast, go to AquariumGuysPodcast.com. At the bottom of the website, we have our contact information, email address, a phone number you can call or send a text message to. We have Facebook. And even Discord, where we're recording these live on uh, Monday nights. We try around 7 Central, if that accommodates the guest. So certainly join the debauchery. But uh, we have a text message that was uh, sent in. And the text message says, hey, this is Marshall from Texas. Could you? I feel like I should read this in the Southern accent. There you go. We haven't offended anybody yet today. Right. So go ahead and start now. <laughs> Could you all explain what's going on in this video and how I train my fish to do it? So, oh, yeah, I, uh, I I sent this over, oh, and I, Texas. I can send a link to all of you if you wish. But uh, it's it's like one of these popular YouTube videos, and it clearly has some Asians looking at this miraculous goldfish table that are uh, swimming goldfish unison in a line. And if you notice, Jimmy, the fins aren't moving. No, they're all magnetic. Right, so 100% magnet board. But I got to say, for rubber fish, that looks pretty pretty decent so expect a new product coming next christmas 
where they have the magic magnetic goldfish. Clearly. They even had made one flicker. You see that? Yeah. But anyways, it's going around. We will make sure to post this on our Facebook page as well. So uh, certainly check it out. But yes, it is fake. So I mentioned back. He says, doesn't surprise me. Thanks for all you do. It's like watching Disney on ice. Right. So I honestly thought, I was like, how do I do this? And someone was going to send us like another one, like one of those tattooed fish or a new form of glowfish. So it was nice seeing something more mild for once. Yeah, because then we don't have to go on the black web and, and have a podcast. Right. On how to tattoo your fish. Yeah, we, we see, I think the last one we saw was uh, glowing bristlenose placos there, Jason. I don't know if you've uh, seen any crazy uh, craziness yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I've seen some weirdness. Hey, right now he's seeing some weirdness looking at our faces. <laughs> no, no, that's not what I meant. You know, uh, when I was uh, wholesaling, when the tattooed fish first came out, you could actually order a fish that would say, marry me, or it would say happy birthday, or it would, whatever you wanted to put on it, it would say. That was a big thing for about 30 seconds. And uh, I can't really see why you'd want to, you know, emblazon marry me on a fish and, and put it in your girlfriend's tank but yeah that's that's quite the uh that's quite the upgrade from getting your name on a little piece of rice in thailand you know what i mean oh that's i've seen that, too. that a thing oh yeah oh man yeah for like two or three bucks you can get for some bizarre reason get your name on a grain of rice and they present it to you i wonder if they have like a bulk discount if i got like jimmy sucks and then just like tried to actually feed him the rice <laughs> Yeah, you get a 500 count. Get a 500 count of your name, you know? Right. There we go. You put some somebody through school over there. Something. Whatever works. No, I was going to say that uh, as horrible as it is, there is something to having something in the aquarium that says Jimmy sucks. So, I mean. That's right. You know, how about you get one of those little aquarium podcast uh, ceramic signs that we have and you just flip it around and write Jimmy sucks on there. Right. We got to contact that gal again to see if she'll uh, actually come on the podcast. There we go. We, we, we had a request for it, ironically. From, literally, from you. Literally, someone messaged us like, who, remember those old porcelain signs? Who, you know, where did those go? I'm like, podcast time. Yeah. So that'll be up and coming. But uh, we again, we answered a lot of the questions already. I was actually overwhelmed there for a couple of weeks with questions. That's a good thing. Keep us busy. And uh, there was just too many to review. So I... Grab those two light ones that just came literally today. Um, so if you got more, send them in. We'll get them read on the podcast or join on Discord to have our community answer them live. So let's get into the interview. Um, we uh, need to be respectful of time. You're opening up a new fish store, Jason. So you mentioned that before. But again, thanks for coming on the podcast. And for those who are listening before we get into the interview, go to YouTube. Go to Redfish Bluefish on YouTube and, you know, click that subscribe button. That means a lot more to YouTubers than it does podcasters, even though we, we like the subscribe button too, don't we, Jimmy? Subscribe? Right. Every time someone clicks the subscribe button, uh, you know, a little Pillsbury Doughboy pokes you in the tummy. Oh, yeah. I like that. That's well, much better than hit with a bar of soap. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it's it's a little, little darker than an angel gets its wings, you know, but I'll take yeah. it. It leaves a bigger welt anyway. No, just uh, a, a middle-aged uh, fat guy gets a beer. There you go. Oh, that'd be good. Anywho, let's go into uh, a little touch of the interview before we get into the topic of tissue cultures. So, Jason, we ask every guest on here of what got them into the hobby originally. So what is your story, sir? Oh, geez. Uh, it would have been um, a historic trip 
that I made with my father uh, way, way, way back in the day. I would have been seven, maybe, I don't know, six to eight, maybe, maybe eight. And uh, we didn't have Walmarts back then. There were no Walmarts. The, uh, the Walden family had not crawled out of wherever they crawled out of. And uh, we just had Kmarts. So I went to Kmart with my pop to buy something, who knows what. Back in the day, Kmart had fish displays. They sold fish all over the place. Um, there were aquariums, you could buy platies and all kinds of stuff. I walked in when I was a little kid, I distinctly remember it, and uh, there was a tank full of platies, you know, sun little sunrise platies, like, you know, yellow and gold. I just, it, it just something about it grabbed me. You know, something was, was super, super cool about having these animals, like, suspended in air. You know what I mean? Like, suspended in air in a, in, a, in, a, in a box made of glass. And it was almost magic when I was a little kid when I saw it. And I think that's, that's that actually what did it. Uh, way back, way back then, they got they got them in. I I totally remember um, when Kmart had fish. Um, I'm 56 years old now, and my dad used to raise canaries, and they sold canaries at Kmart also. And right, so exactly. my, my dad would go in there and buy a, another female canary, and I would go look at the fish, and uh, they actually sold the little turtles too, the little 50 cent size turtles. And uh, my dad would either buy me a fish or a turtle because I had an aquarium at home. And then he would always buy a canary. But yeah, they also, the, I don't know if you remember too, Jason, uh, the Kmart, they would have the uh, little breakfast area or where they had stools and, and they had a grill and you could go in there and eat too at a lot of these Kmarts. Remember that? No, I, I think the Kmart that I had was, uh, was, was pretty ghetto compared to the Kmart that you probably had. Yeah, I came up uh, way, way uh, in deep South Texas. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty likely that the, the marketplace was pretty different, I'm guessing. But I, I want breakfast now and I want Kmart back. Just so we I, have a place to sell Martha Stewart shit. Well exactly. And and you know what, man? Yeah, if if you ever shopped at Kmart, you remember the Kmart blue light special. Remember that? Oh god, yeah. That was wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it, it was great. I mean, I'm sorry, but Kmart rules, Walmart drools. That's right. And and remember Rain Man, we said Kmart sucks. He's wrong. Kmart didn't suck. I need to watch more films. But the, uh, do you remember Woolworths? Did you guys have Woolworths down in Texas? We did. We actually did have Woolworths down there. And yeah, our local, for, for, for a short time. Did they have fish also? Because our, our local Woolworths would have fish also. No, I don't believe that they did. Um, something kind of sad. I, I think that, didn't I hear that uh, Woolworths is getting gobbled up by some horrible, huge corporate beast? Yeah, I think the few that are left are kind of on their way out, unfortunately. Oh, actually, that was Bartell, Bartell Drugs. That's another huge one up here, a Seattle, uh, Seattle mainstay. Uh, now I'm in Seattle. I'm not, not so much in Texas anymore. But yeah, um, back in the day, you know, Kmart's, uh, going to Kmart with my old man, you know, uh, looking at all the angels, the, the goldfish and the platies and the guppies and what have you. Um, that's really kind of what got me started. I just thought that um, it was just magic that uh, you had these these you know, floating boxes of glass, you know, with these beautiful fish living in it. And it's just a whole nother world that you could lose yourself in uh, when you were a kid, especially. So what made you decide to transition years later from that uh, wonderful Kmart uh, originated hobby to uh, doing your own YouTube channel and sharing this content with others? Oh, gosh, uh, man, that is a long story. Um, hmm. Well, basically... Well, <laughs> 
Give us a well, basically, basically, um, I got back into the hobby after having lived overseas for, for many, many years. I, I worked uh, for and on behalf of the U.S. government overseas. And, uh, and this is, you know, this is, I started in my, in my 20s. And um, I had kept fish for many years up to then uh, when I, I sort of made this career change and, and decided, hey, I need to make more money. Uh, where, where's the money? And for me, it just, it just turned out uh, to be a career overseas. Um, so I, I moved overseas, uh, did, did the whole overseas thing, hopping from country to country. It's a long, long story. But basically, um, I realized something really quickly. Um, you can't keep fish uh, doing that job. There's just no way. So I had to say kind of goodbye to the hobby while I, while I lived overseas. I could be anywhere from, um, I started in you know Cambodia. I would hop over to Indonesia from time to time, um, Southern Philippines, depending on wherever I was, I was going to be sent on, on an assignment. You know, how do you keep fish when you have that kind of job? You, you can't predict where you're going to be from one point to the next. So the short answer is you don't keep fish anymore. Your fish keeping days are over. So what I did is uh, as I hopped around, um, I would always be on the lookout for any kind of trade convention, kind of a hobbyist meetup, anything. Uh, Facebook came along uh, quite a few years later and made that easy. But back in the day, you know, you just had to know people and place calls and see if there's any kind of trade convention, any anything going on in the area. And uh, so that's basically what I did. That's kind of how I how I fed the uh, fed the beast is that I would I would attend uh, trade conventions in you know, Japan and Thailand, um, China uh, from time to time for for koi and goldfish. That's that's sort of how I, quote unquote, kept fish while not keeping fish, of course. Um, and of course, you know, if, if that's kind of how you're getting your rocks off, so to speak, um, you get to know a lot of people. You get to. Uh, get a lot of business cards, you shake a lot of hands, you know, that sort of thing happens. And this went on for years uh, until I, I, I kind of had enough of the older overseas gig and, um, you know, moved back to the U.S., got married, got married overseas, you know, started a family and all that. And uh, I moved back to the U.S. And, uh, you know, some years later, I, uh, I slowly got back into the hobby. I didn't jump, jump into it full force, uh, but, uh, you know, kind of crawled back into it. You know, I, I wish that there was some groundbreaking moment when I could say, um, you know, it hit me uh, like a like a lightning bolt, and I realized they just had to open this fish store. Not really. Uh, it was it was a very slow process of of coming to the realization that uh, that with all the contacts that I had made, you know, the the, the people I knew, uh, that this could be a quite a, quite a different take on on a new uh, fish store. Well, it's wonderful. I mean, finally living the dream all the way to uh, owning a store is everybody's dream. And you seem to be doing it uh, in a very um, tasteful way. I'm looking right now into your studio in the background. You have wonderful spotlights, you know, black ceiling to really help focus on the aquariums. And according to your YouTube videos, you're certainly getting in some, you know, more uh, unique stock. If you're not just the person that gets neon Tetris, you get neon Tetris with long fins. You know stuff that you don't normally see so good on you right well i appreciate that that's that's kind of uh i decided to make it central to to kind of what we do um i i wanted to make it not just another you know not that there's anything wrong with with a tropical fish store i wanted to make it a little different in that uh, i'm specifically focusing on importing my stock from europe 
you know, there's some stuff that, that I do and will get locally. But for the most part, you know, Europe has access to quite a few different, uh, not just species of fish, but uh, varieties of uh, species of fish that we just don't get and just, just really, really don't ever see here in the U.S. So number one, I'm looking to Europe for, for some different varieties, some different species, and trying to bring those into the U.S. and, and make them a little bit uh, perhaps not more mainstream, but but rather put them into the hands of some capable aquarists. Perhaps they can get them, you know, breeding and and establish them in the United States as as strains that people can enjoy. And uh, the the second reason I, I I honestly look to Europe um, as my main source is that uh, you know their their focus on quality over raw quantity. You know they they, they focus on quality before profitability necessarily, I find that refreshing. Uh, that's, that's a totally different take uh, from a lot of the wholesalers that uh, people roundly, uh, you know, usually import from uh, in Asia. So I, I really like that, that European, you know, that mentality, how, how they focus on quality, quality control, all of that. Nothing but respect for those guys. So on your, are you using a transshipper or are you using um your old ingenuity to get all these brought in from, from Europe? Uh, so I have an import license and uh, I basically, I, I, I use a, uh, an, an import agent or an import, what are they calling themselves these days, Rob's? Uh, import specialist, import they, specialist or whatever, you know, it, we're basically, a, we're like a step away from them calling themselves baristas, you know, at this point. But, <laughs> <laughs> they're basically they're basically import agents is what they are and i and i do work with an import agent it's it's very it's very important to work with one um but you kind of have to train them you know a lot of import agents have imported everything from raw aluminum to raw oil palm oil you name it um but the the list is very short of import agents who have imported live animals so you kind of have to train them up a little bit, make sure they know all the regulations and they're square, and then you you let them do their job. And when you're bringing these things in, what what is the price difference between, say, a long fin neon and a regular neon that you can purchase here in the U.S.? Are you uh, are you getting a fairly good deal, or are they quite a bit more money? Uh, so um, if you're asking like the price difference between like like a regular neon tetra and and like a veil tail neon tetra, uh, it's it's astronomically higher. It's something like uh, seven, eight times higher. Something Holy like that. God. Yeah. So, so you can, you know, it's, it's not hard to find neon tetras for, I don't know, 35 cents sometimes, 40, yeah. something like that. Um, yeah. You're, you're looking maybe eight, nine, nine times higher uh, for the veil tail variety. And I, and I think that um, I, I don't know for sure why that is, but I suspect, I suspect strongly that it's because the young that come from, from the parental stock, well, basically the parental stock, I don't believe that they breed true. And so there's probably a whole lot of culling going on where they're probably only getting 50, 60% right. of long fins. Right, right, exactly. And, and that's, there's a good reason why, you know, you, you see a German bred or Czech bred neon tetras, they have them by the thousands. But, you know, veil tails, mm, several hundred if you're lucky. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I think that's that's probably because they don't exactly breed true. Yeah, I, I know I deal a lot with Florida and uh, with the glowfish. 
they have a pretty good ratio of gold Danios that don't ever color up. And so they actually there for a while, they're selling 500 lots of uh, gold Danios, selling them as feeder Danios, but they were just the culls from the glowfish. And I could pick up a box of 500 for literally about 35 bucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, off to our... Oh, and, go ahead. And, and, they, and they don't necessarily want to sell those that didn't necessarily, you know, end up from 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 true breeds, right? Because what if somebody gets those and breeds them out and figures out, oh, wait a minute, they throw some long fins here and there, right? So right. they don't want they don't want to release that stuff. Got to keep it under wraps. Well, now to talk about our topic at hand, and tissue cultures uh, have been asked for by a bunch of beginners that uh, come to our Discord or ask us a, a question. So we've been saving up to talk about them here. So for the listeners, can you first describe what a tissue culture is for those that have never purchased it or seen one in the store? Well, sure. Um, so a tissue culture is basically a little, a little cup. It's, it's a little, it looks like a plastic dippy, a Dixie cup um, with, a, um, with a plastic film over the top of it. And at the bottom of the cup, you'll see usually a, a clear gel. Sometimes it's a, it's a really purplish or a black gel. It looks like a gelatin or a jello. And there's a bunch of plants, little shoots, you know, kind of shooting out of the, uh, of the agar. You know, it's called agar, growing on this material. And uh, basically, you, you can go into a, a fish store or, or what have you, order them online sometimes. And, uh, you know, you, you get these sterile plants uh, that, are, that are guaranteed to be the species that they say they are, and they're free of algae, they're free of snails, they're free of any kind of pathogens. How is this process done, and why, why in the world would they be free of pathogens? Generally, when you think of a plant, like especially an aquarium plant, they're, they're either grown in a farm setting or literally grown in a uh, keeper's aquarium, and, you know, that we know that that's not necessarily a completely pest-free zone at all times, especially if it's grown outdoors. So how are uh, these grown specifically We're using this goo? <laughs> this goo? Is that the correct one? I, I think that is the scientific term for it. It is goo. And what is this goo anyway? Let's talk about goo for a minute. What uh, Usually it's, it, it's made out of a combination of basically nutrients, you know, with, with agar as a solidifying agent. Um, and, and you know the the the, the constituents of the uh, of the quote unquote goo um, it, it vary depending on the plant. It's essentially it. And so you you can get goo to order for different types of plants that have different nutrients. Uh, sometimes you yeah you can get the basal medium the basal part of the of the recipe uh, for um, like if you wanted a tissue culture azaleas or rhododendrons or something like that um, that would be a specific formula right that you could get from some massive place and so, uh save you some like time a, the pectin in your mom's jam is what we're trying to go after the agar is the solution that makes the uh liquid a goo form correct right so so okay we, we can go into it a little bit we won't we won't get too deep um but uh basically uh, looking at the the constituents of uh, plant tissue culture media, right? The stuff, the little the, the jelly. It looks kind of like clear jello, a little bit snot like, to be honest with you. Um, it's made up of a couple of different things. Um, it's uh, it's always a cytokinin, right? Which is a type of plant growth hormone, and it's always an auxin as well, which is another type of plant growth hormone, also called a plant growth regulator. Um, it always has a carbon source that's very important, and the carbon source that we always use in plant tissue culture is sucrose, sugar, 
it's always got uh, something that we call uh, MNS 1962. Uh, that is a basal vitamin mixture that was developed in 1962 by these two big-brained plant biologists slash botanists uh, named Murashage and Skoog. And uh, in 1962, they came up with this, with this uh, revelation that basically um, you needed an auxin, a cytokinin, a carbon source, and some, uh, you know, a combination of complex B vitamins and some other you know, fairy magic. And uh, you could pretty much uh, get most things uh, herbaceous to tissue culture. That's, that's one, that's another thing that you need, uh, this, this basal uh, mix that we call MNS 1962. You need water, obviously, and you may or may not need a solidifying agent, which is agar. Some plants uh, do much better as uh, liquid tissue cultures, other plants, you need a solidifying agent to kind of, you know, thicken it up and turn the whole thing into like a jello type consistency. Those are, that's basically the, the, the constituents of, a, uh, of the media that we tissue culture plants in. So if I go to say like a Petco or PetSmart or my mom and pop local store and I find tissue cultures there, generally I see them selling in different types of packs, different plastic containers, Dixie cups mm -hmm. type uh, everything. You always see that, that goo. The, the question people have is, where does the plant come from? Do they gestate the seeds and then just add it to the goo and sell it to you? How does this become a, a sterile process? Are they growing them right out of the gel? Well, that's exactly what they're doing. They're growing them out of the gel from something called explant. So before we get into explant and talk about what explant is and why this whole thing works, we really do need to take a step backwards. And we need to talk about this innate ability that plants have that nothing else has. Okay, so you guys know, all of your listeners, I'm sure, know that mammals, animals, we all have stem cells, right? Right. Okay, so stem cells are cells in our bodies that have not yet been programmed to become the cell that they will become, right? It could be an eye cell, it could be nose, it could be lung, it could be blood, it could be marrow, it could be anything, right? So a stem cell is what we have. Plants do not have stem cells. They do not exist. Rather, um, in, in 1832, this crazy German guy, right, theorized something. And, and it doesn't, don't all these things always begin with some crazy German guy somewhere thinking something weird? As we look at our Volkswagen Beetles. Exactly, exactly. Um, so in 1832, this guy named Theodore Schwann theorized that... Uh, it would be possible to grow living cells out of a host's donor body, right? Given that strict environmental conditions were met. It was just a thought. He didn't prove anything at all. He just had this weird thought one day. And he is basically coined as the father of tissue culture. And he didn't do actually anything. Um, he started playing around with uh, uh, chicken embryonic chicken cells, right? P people that came after him started playing around with uh, chicken embryo cells, and they had some success. So they realized they were onto something. Basically, what they were doing is they were harnessing stem cells from mammals, right? And they were realizing, wow, th there is something to this theory. Well, let's go over to plants. Plants don't have stem cells. Rather, every single cell in a plant can become any other kind of cell in a plant because every plant cell has the ability of something called totipotency. It's something that we don't have. We have stem cells. If we want to work with tissue culture and animals, 
we need to harness stem cells of some sort and work from there. Is it, is so, it fair to use the starfish analogy? If I cut off my finger, I can't grow another Robbie. But, you cannot uh, grow another Robbie. Absolutely not. If you're a plant or starfish, if I break off a branch, I have a small possibility to grow some roots. Yeah, you, you actually have a great possibility of growing some roots if you're a plant. Um, so with that, with that said, if, if all plant cells have the ability to become any other kind of plant cell, right, that's totipotency. If you took a cell from a root plant from a spinach, right, you, you, you took a, a, a cell from a root and you could, given the right <laughs> environmental factors and stressors, you could get that cell to transform to cambrium or leaf or rachis, which is stem, right? Or part of a vascular system. You could do that. And that's what plant tissue culture is. It's essentially taking part of a plant and causing it to transform into a different part of a plant, that same plant, because you're applying stressors and plant growth hormones under sterile conditions to it. And the reason why we have to use sterile conditions is because basically the plants don't, don't have anything to eat. These little pieces of plant that we're working with don't have anything to eat other than what's in the plant tissue culture medium that we're cooking up because we're working with tiny, tiny pieces of plant called explant, right? You, you guys, it's called explant. You've heard of wife and ex-wife, right? It's the same thing. Plant, explant. Well, thank God nothing can be grown out of Jimmy's ex-wife. Not yet. <laughs> I got you for that joke. You got, that was good. Thanks for doing you're, that. You're welcome. I'm your backup I, on this I one. get a lot of crap about making jokes about my ex-wife, and uh, it, they're all true. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what, what we're doing in plant tissue culture is, is manipulating plants' inherent ability of totipotency. And again, sounds all fancy. It's definitely a $15, $20 word on a good Friday night. But all it means is that a cell from plant A can turn into any other type of cell from plant A. That's it. So um, in, the, in the aquarium world, then, the obvious questions that we would get is, again, they're, clearly they're not trying to do this from a seed. That might take too, uh, a longer process to grow a plant. They're, they're taking plant X in a lab. And how much on, on general do they take to start growing these tissue cultures? I'm assuming they just grab one piece, however small, you put it in the Dixie cup and then watch it grow out in the goo, the gel, um, and literally wait for it to be a full plant before they sell it. And that's simply it. Like how much do they cut off and how do they make sure that that piece is completely cleaned? Okay. So, so what they're actually doing, um, what they're doing is they're taking a little tiny piece of plant, like little tiny, like less than, usually less than one millimeter. And what they're doing is they're, they're finding a donor plant that's healthy, right? And they, and they lop off usually like a large piece, like an entire branch, if not more. Okay. And then um, they immediately take it into a lab and they usually take all the leaves off, right? And they leave the stem intact and they wash it with a, a plant safe detergent. And then they surface sterilize it, uh, usually with something called um, sodium dichloroisocyanurate. Uh, it's, it's basically bleach, but not bleach that rocks the pH up high or up low. Okay, and then they surface sterilize it with this stuff after it's been cleaned. 
And then they cut it down further in front of something called a laminar flow hood, right? This is a clean room. They're working in a clean room at this point. No bacteria, no critters. And they cut down this, this piece of this donor plant all the way down to where they're, they're basically left with just the sort of tissue that they want, which is typically something called a node. And then once they have the node excised, they place it into onto the medium, right? And it explodes. It, it usually booms. You know? It starts, you know, exploding shoots all over the place. And then at that point, they don't sell that plant. They do something called subculturing. They do the whole thing again, except they don't surface sterilize it. You see, because it's already sterile. So that they use. So they've got this. They they sterilize so one plant in a cup of these shoots. Right. They've got this cup that's full of shoots now, this, this generation A, you can call it, right? F1, if you prefer. And then once again, in front of a laminar flow hood, they crack it open and they start excising all of those nodes off of those explants again, plugging each one into its own individual test tube. And then they repeat that again and again and again until they have all that they want. And then instead of subculturing it, they move each and indivi each individual little cluster with you know, a bunch of shoots coming off of it, they move it into the rooting phase, which is where they basically place it on top of medium, which is very high in auxin and low in cytokinin. So auxin is a type of plant growth regulator which induces rooting, okay? And cytokinins are kind of the opposite. They don't induce rooting, they induce shooting. So before we go too much further, we had a question about the hood you were talking about. What is that that you're speaking of? I'm assuming it's a sterilization hood or some light or something. Yeah, well, basically what it is, it, it's a very high-performance, very, very expensive HEPA filter, right, that's mounted in a, uh, in, a wooden, in a wooden frame, okay? And then on the back of it is, is, a, is basically blowers. So you're drawing in dirty air and you're forcing it through a HEPA filter. So the only thing that exits is basically clean air and so you work in front of that no one wants to be the next louis pasteur and get uh, this you know sweet new fungus on there to create some sort of thing in your aquarium you never knew about no no uh you usually end up with some uh, some pretty rainbow looking stuff uh when you're when you're sneezing in front of the uh, the flow hood you get some <laughs> weird stuff you get some really weird stuff man so i like the reds i like the red stuff i was gonna That's ask how many get. times have you sneezed in front of one of those hoods uh, you know, I've, I've, I've walked in two or three days later and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have to do these again. <laughs> Oops. Now, when you're rooting and shooting, do you have to give these, uh, plants, Adam, quit laughing at me. Do, do you have to give these plants, uh, light? Do you have to give it heat? Do you have to give it both? Do you have to give it love? What, what do you have to do uh, special for them? Or do you just let them sit there stacked up in a pile? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, the the secret ingredient is love. I knew. No, it. really. No, really. It's 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 light. Actually, um, and depending on the type of plant tissue culture you're trying to do, it's going to be light. And uh, it's you know a lot a lot a lot to do is made of temperature. You know, it has to be at sixty eight degrees, or it has to be at seventy eight or seventy two. I've I've found over the years doing this stuff that temperature is far less important than is consistency in temperature. So if you start a plant at 72, keep it at 72. It'll do fine wherever you start it, provided, you know, it's not 50. That's, that's a little crazy, or 90. 
Now you let's wait. You mentioned before that the first strand that they do, you could you say you you gave it the label F one. What F do you get when you go into a pet store and purchase one? Generally F five. Oh no, that's that's F five hundred, seven hundred, a thousand. These are strains that have been uh, established in their labs for years, years and years. That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, that's kind of the power of tissue culture. It just, it's just like mycology, just like growing mushrooms, sterile mushrooms or whatever. You just, you know, like they do with mushrooms, you keep the mycelium running. You know, you keep the mycelium running in your, in your test tubes or your petries. You do the same thing with plants, except instead of mycelium, they're shoot clusters. That's fascinating. So you could literally have something that has literally been lab created, a new strain of something just from crossbreeding, genetics. And it's never seen the light of day just because it's sitting in some guy's lab that he's coming up with this new purple version of Anubis or whatever. Absolutely. Yes. And a lot of those weird versions are actually man-made. Oh, which um, which weird the, versions can you just give us a couple examples? I'm sorry, what was that? Could you give us a couple examples? Of the man-made versions of Ab- stuff? Absolutely. Uh, in, in aquatic plants, mm, probably not. but. Uh, you know, talking about some of the, some of the weird stuff that that plant tissue culture lets us do. Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, raise your virtual hand if you like bananas, uh, because I'm not raising my hand at all. I hate them; they're disgusting. But if you do like bananas, uh, then you're eating uh, fruit that is tissue cultured. Full stop. Um, because the banana is sterile; it cannot reproduce itself. So if you've ever cracked open a banana, you know, peeled it back and, 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 you know, sliced it up for your, to throw in your Cheerios or your Wheaties or Wheat Bix or whatever it is you're eating, you'll notice that actually bananas do have really, really tiny internal seeds, really small ones. You, you can almost not even make them out. Well, that's why the banana is sterile. Uh, the seeds are non-functional uh, due to um, inbreeding and, and uh, crossbreeding and, and everything, you know. Uh, the, the banana that we love and enjoy today must be tissue cultured. It must be. Otherwise, we can't reproduce it. Now, I've got a silly question that I've thought about. I used to work in a grocery store for many, many years, and we started getting the seedless grapes and started getting the seedless watermelon. Can you explain to us how that works? Is that the same process? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Your, your, your seedless grapes are, are grapes that have been, you know, you know messed with and tinkered with uh, to where they just don't have seeds anymore. So if they don't have seeds anymore, how do they reproduce? Well, you can clone them, and it's it's not terribly difficult to clone grapes, or you most likely you plant tissue culture. So think of of cloning. Cloning is a way of cutting a few, like lopping a few a few you know pieces of a plant off, sticking it in water basically with some nutrients in it, and getting it to take root. Um, with plant tissue culture, you can take one piece of a plant, a specific piece and turn it easily into 300 plants the first pass because that is how active of some of these meristems on some of these plants are when you hit them with the right um you know phytohormonal combination it's pretty interesting science you know i was down in uh, florida we went on a trip to go see where our produce and we're as far away from uh, florida in the united states as you can get and what's interesting is uh, we, we were down there uh, for the grocery store looking at where they grow the watermelon and stuff, and 
we up here in the Northland get the best produce available because the stuff that's overripe and stuff has to be sold locally or close by because they'll, they'll, you know, of course, spoil in the back of the truck. But we were down there. We purchased um, probably about 10 or 12 pallets of watermelon. They beat us home. By the time they were harvested, we put our, we actually all took our, a magic marker, wrote our name on the watermelon, and they beat us home before we got home in, in two and a half days. But what was really, it was interesting that they were, they were doing over in the corner is they were trying to grow watermelons in boxes by making these watermelons square. Because if you can make a square watermelon, then you can ship a lot more watermelons in the back of a semi. <laughs> I'm serious. These guys were trying to do that. Have you ever heard of something that crazy? I mean, they're actually just trying to, to make the shape square by putting it in a box. I've never heard of that, but you know what? That's, that's an excellent, that's a really cool idea. I love, I love that. Yeah, because you can absolutely fruit and, uh, you know, tree trunks and all that sort of thing. Th- they will conform to whatever they have to conform to, to, to survive, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're doing with plant tissue culture. We're, we're taking a little tiny bit of plant and we're almost killing it. We're almost killing it. Right. And we're putting it on a carbon source with some cytokinin and some oxen and some MS 1962, some water. And we're making sure the pH is balanced. And we're saying, there you go, kid. Sink or swim. Right? J- Jimmy, you're... That, that's that's what plants can do. You, they you, will they will survive. You're going to haunt me with your uh, nightmares of uh, plastic surgery melons that are square. Don't make your melons square. Well, you know what? You, th- you think about this. And Adam, I think you'll agree. I mean, have you read about them? They're trying to make eggs square. Can you imagine if you could make an egg from a chicken square? Somehow? I'm just trying to think of the chicken bottom, read, you know, just coming out square. That'd be a rough, that'd be a rough trip out, man. You know, yeah, rough. I haven't read that, but I know that in Japan, they, they put molds around their fruit and stuff, and they make the fruit have different shapes like teddy bears and stuff. So, yeah, square watermelons would work. You know, if, if you think about it, the cost of your fruit, the majority of the cost is in shipping. And if you can put in two or yes. three times more the amount of fruit, because there is so much wasted space when you, I mean, let me put it this way. So I work for a bread company right now, and I go into Walmart. Walmart's not even using pallets for their items now that they ship from the store, or from the warehouse to the store, because the pallet is four inches high right and anyway they put the stuff on the floor and they actually spend so much time unloading it one by one by one but because they can get so much more in a truck um it's it's worth for them to pay extra money for labor because they can get so much more shipped in that you know because there's not a if you've ever been in back store of a walmart there is no room in their trucks whatsoever i mean it is packed from floor to ceiling there it is jimmy i just pulled it up they have new uh fruit molds for uh, different uh, products such as melon. And what you're seeing here that I put on Discord for everyone to look at is a heart-shaped watermelon. See? and then if you can, I, I'm haunted. If you just put a tattoo on that saying, marry me, wouldn't that be grand? <laughs> all right. I think we've, uh, we've completely der- this derailed this subject. No, that's, that's, that's just all great information. So to get back on track with uh, what's going on here, can you still hear us, Jason? Oh, yeah, I'm still here. Wonderful. So to get back on track of what we're uh, going with, we have a, a bunch of questions when people get these tissue cultures for the first time and they see the gel in the bottom of the container. Do you rinse out or rinse off the gel, or do you plant the plant right with the gel and let it dissolve in the aquarium? Oh, no, no. you you got to get that gel off of there. 
You got to get it off of there. It's it's packed with uh, with sugar, basically uh, sucrose. That's our um, that's our carbon source that we use in plant tissue culture. And um, typically, for, for know, the beginners, um, why is that bad? Is are the fish diabetic? Oh no, no, no. Uh, so what will happen is that naturally occurring bacteria uh, in your aquarium will seize on that sugar immediately and use it to reproduce in mind-bogglingly uh, astronomical layers, uh, uh, numbers, to where basically um, what you'll notice is on top of your aquarium, like the, like the top maybe perhaps one or two millimeters on top of your aquarium, there will be this layer of very slow-moving, crystal-clear snot. It looks <laughs> just like snot on top of your aquarium. That is a massive aerobic bacterial bloom that is responding to the carbon source that we use in plant tissue culture, which is table sugar. I just thought that so was you, Jimmy uh, trying to mess with me after his vasectomy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yo. Hey, yo. All right. You're, you're blushing, Jimmy. But no, no sugars. No sugars in the tank. No, no, no. Yeah, so you definitely want to get any of that agar, uh, you know, jello-like uh, material off, whether it's green or clear or red or, or black. I mean, that freaks a lot of people out. I got these tissue cultures and the, and the gel stuff in the bottom is black. Clearly, it's evil. It's from Mordor. That's why it's black. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. It's because that plant required charcoal. Uh, and the agar in order to either A, provide additional carbon, or B, most likely, to shield light from hitting the roots because some plants will not go to root if, if light is hitting them because they know, plants know, hey, I'm a root, why am I getting light? There's a problem, you see, so... You definitely want to get all of that stuff off of the roots. Um, perhaps a, a, a plug here is, is due to a Tropica tissue cultures. Tropica basically makes exclusively liquid tissue cultures, uh, which don't contain any agar at all. It's really easy to just basically rinse it off and plant away. So what's the benefits of, uh, why should we use a tissue culture of just getting another plant from, say, a pet store that's growing in a tank or in a uh, bundle already uh well you know getting getting a bundle of stem plants or uh or a crypt or whatever from a, from a uh you know a, a pet shop that's not tissue cultured there's absolutely nothing wrong with that not at all um if you are concerned though about getting snails or algae or pathogens anything like that in your tank then plant tissue culture is probably something that you want to you want to look at um because we have to tissue culture these plants in sterile conditions, right? Because they're, they're growing, these little pieces of plant are growing uh, on, this, uh, on this media that literally will grow anything else on it. Viruses, fungus, bacteria, anything that gets on it will grow very, very well because it's sugar, right? Um, as such, tissue cultures have to be sterile. So you can be certain when you're buying a tissue culture from somebody there will be no snails or algae or BBA or, you know, heaven help you, cyanobacteria. Uh, that's always a fun one to get. You know, I've watched a lot of stuff on, on, on YouTube, and these people that are aquascaping seem to exclusively use cultured plants. Do you find that to be true? 
Uh, pretty much, uh, pretty much, yeah. Um, it's it's it pretty much is that way because of ADA, you know, Aqua Design Amano. Um, that is the company that that kind of introduced plant tissue culture to aquarists. It, it became very much a cultural thing that you know, if you had an ADA tank and an ADA filter, well, then you were going to have ADA tissue cultures too because they're they're all about brand, you know. Um, Japanese, uh, Japanese people I've noticed tend to be very, very brand loyal. And so I'm not at all surprised that, uh, that, uh, the aquascaping community that basically came out of aqua design Amano, um, that, that they still pretty much focus on, uh, you know, using tissue cultures exclusively. Yeah. It's been very interesting watching a lot of this stuff happening uh, on YouTube and, and just the amount of painstaking hours that they spend, uh, planting these tanks and then putting in three fish is always kind of throw me off. But I mean, to, to build these beautiful mountain ranges and these different forest looking uh, tanks and stuff, it's just totally incredible. So I can see why you don't want any snails in there and you want to kind of have a, a sterile type uh, tank. I always suggest uh, to different uh, new users ask, Oh, well I should just buy only tissue cultures. Well, honestly, how I recommend it for people that haven't had a lot of experiences, if you're setting up a brand new tank you don't have any fish to worry about, go ahead and purchase plants right outright. You know, if you're going to purchase some plants, if you don't have a reputable um, pet store, such as Jason's pet store by you, you know, go out to your Facebook communities, go out to your, to your social media group and see if you can find the plant nut, right? And ask, say, Hey, I'll give you 50 bucks. If you put some stuff in this bucket and I'm a bucket, they'll be tickled pink. They will make your day right? Of all the, the trimmings, cuttings, they'll give you a little everything they got just, just because they, they have fun with this. Take it home, set up your tank and you know, whatever comes deal with the pests as they come. Cause again, it's a, it's not an established tank. It's a blank canvas and you can deal with it, uh, you know, as it goes. Now, if you already have an established tank, everything is going great. That tank is beautiful, but you just want to add another plant and you're concerned of getting some sort of bacteria snail or otherwise, that's the time where, you know, forking out the money, get yourself a tissue culture. Don't risk it. Don't, uh, Jimmy always gives me a lecture of don't screw up perfect, right? You'll find a way to do it. Adding a fish without quarantine, you know, being careful by just grabbing whatever plant you want to put in your tank sometimes can be certainly a risk. Uh, I know one issue that I had is I had some uh, friends come over. We went out to one of our many lakes in Minnesota and somebody came home with a weed in their pocket from the lake and they're like, Oh, well, wouldn't it be cool if it floats in Robbie's aquarium without telling me put it in there. And I, it was just a small piece of something. Right. And just suddenly I started getting a bacteria bloom. I didn't know what the world was happening. And this crazy green sludge bacteria that I've never seen before completely overtook the tank. I had to pull the fish completely restart the tank over. It's a, it's amazing what wild, Petri dishes can do when you scoop them out of pond scum. And I'm not saying that pet stores or wherever you're buying your plants do that, but uh, especially if you're grabbing stuff that I hear from people like they want to take little specimens from their local creek or pond, that's when you have to be really concerned and do your uh, quarantine process even with plants. Tissue cultures, just take that entirely out of the game. Are all tissue cre uh, cultures created equal? I know there's only, what, four companies that really market to the United States for tissue cultures on a wide scale? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of not. Uh, they're kind of not all created equal. Um, some, some of the companies are better than others. Um, ADA makes really great uh, tissue cultures. 
but they stay away from the liquid tissue cultures, which has always been a bit of a disappointment. Um, Tropica, uh, which is, of course, Dutch, um, they, they actually uh, do make their tissue cultures uh, here in North America. Uh, the, if, you, if you find any uh, Tropica tissue cultures for sale, uh, they, they will be certainly liquid tissue cultures. And as I said before, it's really easy to work with them. There's no gel to rinse off. You just, you know, rinse it under a little running tap water and boom, just plant it right away. But those tissue cultures are actually made up in British Columbia, just north of me, just on the other side of the border. And then, um, yeah, there's, there's UNS, obviously, UNS. Um, they don't actually make their own tissue cultures. They, they have them made for them by a company in LA. Uh, I won't mention their name. <laughs> We'll keep that secret. We'll keep it secret. But yeah, we'll keep it secret. Secret. And then I guess I guess the fourth the fourth main player is based out of Singapore, and uh, they are a company named Aquatic Farmer. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, um, and I would say that that the kind of the kind of the order that that I mentioned them, you know, with with ADA and Tropica definitely at the top of the list. Uh, UNS uh, definitely in I guess third place you could say. And uh, aquatic farmer, uh, you know, bring it, bringing it up in the caboose. Now, there's what, what do you need to look for when I go to a pet store? Because most of these times, the stuff doesn't have labels. So if I'm looking for a good tissue culture, and this is, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying uh, um, to disregard some of your stores, but it's nice to see, like, when you look at a product and you see a loaf of bread, for instance, and it's green, it's probably not something you should buy or eat, for heaven's sakes. So if you're going to look at a tissue culture, number one, you can see the plant itself is in a good state. What do I need to look at it for a tissue culture that like, mm, maybe I should pass on that one? Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good question. Um, so I, I get this question a lot. Uh, people asking me, you know, I see this really, you know, I've been looking for this, this uh, I don't know, Marsalea Cornata forever. And I found two cups of it at my local shop. But I'm looking in it, and they all look healthy, but on top of the agar, I see a little bit of white fuzz. Not much, but just a little bit of white fuzz. What should I do? Is that bad? And I always tell them, buy it immediately. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the start of a little bit of mold. Um, it's very, very common. Um, it has no effect on the plants. Um, in, in what fact, you want to look for? Wouldn't that just use, paint health, or at least there's enough good stuff in the gel, enough sugars? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. I mean, if you give mold, any kind of mold or, or fungus or anything like that, if you give it any any chance to grow on anything, it, it will. Trust me. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily, though, mean that uh, the tissue culture is bad. Uh, more often than not, what you want to look for is uh, dead leaves you know, dead, dead shoots. If you get a tissue culture, um, that's some kind of, I don't know, stem plant, Didipolis diandra, or some kind of Rotala rotundifolia, something like that. And, uh, all along the outer perimeter, uh, excuse me, all along the, the inner wall, I guess I should say of the tissue culture cup, all the little shoots that are closest growing to that, if those are dead or dying, don't buy it. It's very, very old. And basically what's happened is that uh, sunlight um, shining on the media, on the, on the media that the shoots are growing on, sunlight has uh, rapidly depleted a lot of the phytohormones and things that the plants use. And that's why those shoots on the, on the, the you know, along the, the inner wall, I guess you could say, are dying. 
That's, that's a good indication of a very old tissue culture. Um, another, another thing to, to look for is a metabolins. And metabolins are liquids. If you're, if you're dealing with like an ADA tissue culture and it's, and it's a, it's a jelly type tissue culture, meaning that they've used agar in it. If you see a lot of metabolins in it, like a lot of yellow liquid, it doesn't look quite very appetizing. You should not buy that tissue culture as well. What is the shelf life on one of these things? It really does depend on the temperature that you keep them at, which should always be kind of like a, well, let's just say it, the, the perfect temperature to keep tissue cultures in for longevity is about like a wine cellar. Now, obviously, no pet shop has a temperature or, or a climate like a wine cellar. They're, they're quite a bit warmer than that. Um, but if you wanted to keep them for as long as possible, you would want to keep some light on them, of course, some light, not tons. Um, and you would want to keep the temperature somewhere around like that of a wine cellar. Well, the only other questions I think to follow up with this that we have to address is DIY tissue cultures. So if one wanted to, to play around with this, you know, is there a kit you can buy? Because it's not the Dixie Cups, clearly. You may have your own plants. Um, two, two questions would be, how could you sterilize your plants correctly where it's safe enough that you would start tissue culturing? And two, how can you make your own gel for at least a couple basic plants for someone that wants to start getting into this? You put miracle Grow mixed with a, you know, pectin? <laughs> do you go on goo.com? I, I wish. I, I wish we could do that. That would save tons of money. Let me tell you. No, really, the, honestly, the, the best way that somebody could, could start to learn about DIY plant tissue culture is honestly to pick up uh, a book. And uh, it is a fantastic source of knowledge for anyone that wants to learn about not just aquatic plant tissue culture, but it could be roses, it could be azaleas, it could be redwoods. Redwoods are like the easiest thing in the world to tissue culture, actually. It could be any of those plants, but the book, I think it's in its, I want to say it's in its fourth, perhaps third or fourth edition. The name of the book is plant from tissue. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, plant from test tubes. Plants from test tubes is the name of, of the book. And it basically takes the reader through setup of a very basic plant tissue culture lab. Um, you could use a still air transfer box. Uh, you could use a, a laminar, uh, an actual laminar flow hood, uh, like I use, uh, any of those things. But uh, it, it basically takes the the reader through um, step by step. You know, multiplication, sub multiplication. You know, rooting, uh, what to look out for, um, things that can get you in trouble, like vitrification. It's a great source of knowledge. What is the best way that you recommend? to do like a sterilization dip for tissue cultures at home? Is it uh, hydrogen peroxide? What would you recommend? Okay, so that's a great question. Um, and, and it's one that, that really gives uh, most beginners uh, tons of trouble. Uh, plants are really easy to tissue culture, especially aquatic plants. What they're really hard to do is get clean. So I would recommend that anyone uh, interested in, you know, having, having a go at plant tissue culture, avoid bleach altogether and look at something called sodium dichloroisocyanurate. Um, that's a, if you that's a, one of those $10 words you told us about. <laughs> yeah. If you wanted to, if you, the, the, actually the abbreviation for it is N A 
DCC. So, you know, Na is sodium, and then dichloroisocyanurate is DCC. So if you just wanted to Google NADCC, basically what it is, is it's spa shock. You know, like spa, like you have a hot tub or something, like a, like a spa or a hot tub in your backyard. And you want, you know, you got some funk growing in it, something, something weird going on, and you need to give it a shock. Well, then you hit it with this, this strange effervescent tablet that looks a lot like Alka-Seltzer, and it bubbles just like Alka-Seltzer. But it's made out of something called sodium dichloroisocyanurate. So the if you use it, the only time I've seen these are for chlorine tabs. I'm assuming that must be close or the same thing. It's it's very much the same thing. So so what they are is they're they're effervescent tablets that start bubbling away in water, and what they're what they're releasing is not so much oxygen as it is free chlorine. Now the benefit that NADCC or sodium dichloroisocyanurate has over bleach, even diluted bleach, is that bleach will and always will raise the pH drastically. And if there's one thing that plants really don't like, guess what it is? pH burn. pH burn. High pH. Uh, plants do not like alkaline environments. What NADCC does is actually provide you with a neutral pH environment while you sterilize the plants so you don't get all that leaf burn and, and stuff. So I, I feel like that's like too easy. I just go buy some chlorine tabs, put them in a bucket, dip my plants. Like, oh, Let's say I made like an ice cream pail with a tab in it, right? Do I dunk, 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 and then just, what, put it into the sterile tank or cut off my tissue culture and grow from my goo? <laughs> no, what, 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 you, what you'd normally do is, is you'd, you'd, you'd have your donor plant, you know, you take off all the leaves. You, you're, you're holding a branch, right? A branch with no leaves on it, maybe a couple leaves on the end of it. And you throw that in your, in your bucket of pure water with NADCC in it, and you screw the, the lid on, and you, and you shake it. You shake, 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 shake. You just make sure that that branch, that, that piece of X plant... Uh, is uh, is submerged uh, below the surface of that sterilizing agent, that sterilizing solution. And usually, depending on the plant, 15 minutes is what you shoot for. Ooh, that's uh, a any, lot. Any, any more than that, you're probably going to start burning tissue because NADCC will eventually start harming plant tissue. I mean, chlorine is pretty gnarly stuff, right? right? Um but any, any less than that, now you're going to run the risk of, oh, well, you actually didn't kill all the nasties. And if there's any nasty that's going to survive your sterilization process, it's actually two of them. It's either going to be yeast, God help you if it's yeast, because you're done, or it's going to be fungus. And then you're kind of shafted anyway, right? So chlorine so you want won't, to make sure won't take care of fungus. you're going long enough. Chlorine will not take care of fungus. It will. It just takes long enough. It just, you know, you, you got to go strong enough, long enough, which is why you got to do the whole 15 minute thing. Gotcha. You know, hopefully you're not getting a lot of plant uh, cellular damage. Now, if you use bleach, even diluted bleach, and you're going 15, 20 minutes, you're done. With an aquatic tissue, with an aquatic plant, you're done. Their, their, uh, their cell walls are very, very thin compared to terrestrial plants, right? So you're putting them in a high pH solution. You're leaving them in there for maybe 10, 15 minutes. You just made green pea soup, buddy. So is this something that you'd recommend for people that, you know, try to harvest? Because we have a, a whole 
fan base of uh, ours that try to harvest wild plants, wild fish within legal um, means, and mm-hmm. they have a big uh, hard time doing bleach dips. So is this something that you'd recommend just using as a treatment? Otherwise, does it also kill snails? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So NADCC or any kind of uh, high, high amount of, uh, of free chlorine will absolutely kill snails. It will. Um, it, just, it just wreaks havoc on their, on their respiratory system, just like it would on, on fish. Except for the one snail that's unkillable. Yeah, you can't kill it. Malaysian trumpet snails. The unkillable they, one. Yeah, the one unkillable one. That, that, can, that can last through anything. Well, that explains why, so, why, why my... So uh, we're joking, by the way. Just let you guys know. <laughs> so, so sterilization is, is, is easily the number one headache point for people trying to get into this. And I'm, I'm really glad we started talking about this. So a really good place for people to start is NADCC. Another substance I'd like to mention shortly, it's experimental. It's called Cathon CG. Cathon is spelled K-A-T-H-O-N. And then there's some bizarre, ominous initial CG. I have no idea what that stands for. Anyway, what Cathon CG is, is it's a really powerful antimicrobial and try and let me try that again. Ant, antimicrobial. There we go. Don't I worry, we'll, get it out. we're going to get a T-shirt of that. <laughs> antimicrobial. Right. I like that. Will that take care of the? It's COVID? a it's it's a very very powerful uh, antimicrobial that they add to for some bizarre reason they add it to um, cosmetics to cosmetic products uh, like you know uh, Revlon or whatever this crud that people sell. It's like that, a. You know, it's a it's a cleaning preservative for cleansers, uh, makeup, and other things. Well, that makes total That's sense. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Oddly enough, there are many complaints coming out of the European Union that this Cathon CG that they put in skincare products actually causes massive skin irritation. So you do the math on that one. Yeah, anyway. They, what, I'm, I'm looking at a picture figured. from Google right now of someone doing scratch tests to a dude's back. And yeah, sure enough, the Cathon CGs and nickel are like the two things that pop up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cathon CG, this, this stuff that this preservative antimicrobial that they put in these uh, skincare products absolutely um, causes all kinds of skin irritation. Now, what we've discovered monkeying around us plant nerds in our labs is that this is far less damaging, far, far, far less damaging to plant cells and plant tissues than is sodium dichloroisocyanurate. And it's very, very effective at, uh, at not just inhibiting the growth of uh, little nasties, but killing them as well. So Cathon CG is something that's very experimental. Um, it's very exciting. We're playing around with it, and we're getting great results. Now, I, I take no responsibility of what happens if you purchase this product, but you can purchase it on AliExpress pretty reasonably in a little bottle. Yeah, I would probably get it from DuPont before I got it from AliExpress. DuPont, or is it DuPont or Dow? I don't know. One of these DuPont. probably... It's definitely DuPont. Yeah, DuPont. I, I knew it was one of these probably former Nazi Germany, you know, <laughs> chemical companies that, you know, started creating this. I mean, let's don't get me started on Bear, please. <laughs> let's do it. I That's, that's for another <laughs> podcast, but... Well, I, I totally different. Well, so, so the antimicrobial that they put in, like all these uh, 
like in the mascara and stuff. I would imagine that's because you're constantly touching your face and then going back to the product and touching your face. And, exactly. And that's what they're that's trying to exactly do is it. avoid. Yeah, the, the little the little eyelash plunger thingy that that ladies, you know, that you brush and and what have you and then put back in the thing. Yeah, you're you're literally like pulling critters off of your eyelashes <laughs> and putting it putting it into like this this delicious breeding chamber. Yeah. Uh no. Let's let's not do that. That's it. So, yeah. I, I know I like to wear about, I know I like to wear emo makeup, but I'm throwing my shit out right now. Yeah, get rid of it. Get, get in, rid of it. Yeah, I'm getting a new new bottle. So this explains why why you get rid of your jock itch uh, when you jump in the hot tub, <laughs> right? <laughs> get, get, get rid exactly of your it. get rid of your athlete's foot, That's your jock itch, and and uh, it's all good. So get in the hot tub, take your plants with you, dunk it a couple of times, and have a beer. Ah, oh, no amount of bleach go. can That's... take my mental image from me. Yeah, there there is there is no mind to bleach for that. <laughs> All right. So following up with the last couple of questions, we asked somebody uh if the sugar substance in the gel is a nightmare for bacteria in your tank to bloom, wouldn't it be a good idea to you save that goo into a container and add a little bit when you're trying to start up a cycle in your tank? That's that's what they're asking if that's that would be a good idea. Uh, that would not be a good idea because the the bacteria in your tank that are beneficial are are well there there are many genus that they come from but the primary one that that you're trying to foster is nitrosomonas nitrosomonas specifically eats ammonia they do not eat sugar so they, what, they won't live on sugar what so, you're saying so is bacteria is you have a better chance of peeing in your aquarium to get the cycle going versus putting this goo in there absolutely absolutely now don't yeah, pee in your aquariums no no so so the bacteria that 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 will live and thrive on that goo are uh, non-beneficial aerobics uh that will just basically turn your uh, top uh, about two maybe even three millimeters of aquarium into a giant clear loogie and <laughs> it will add and if you're not pumping air into your aquarium guess what your fish are dead, dead, dead because there is no gas exchange happening through that ectoplasmic afterbirth, whatever it is. It's bad. Essentially, you're just putting a goo and seal on top of your aquarium and there's no... Bacteria. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it would be akin to pouring paraffin on top of your aquarium and sealing it. <laughs> the only hope you have is your dojo loach is farting some, some air out. Or that you have a massive linear air pump on your little five-gallon cube, and you can burst the uh, <laughs> the wax seal on it. Who knows? Fingers mm -hmm. crossed. Now, when you're doing your when you're culturing your own plants, do you make your own goo, or do you uh, do you go on like goo.com and get goo? Or I mean, is there a place where people can buy their own goo, or do they have to make their own goo? Uh, well, you, you can buy goo. You can buy the constituents, basically, that you basically, you know, add water, pressure cook it, you know, put it in an autoclave or pressure cooker or whatever. But there's not and, like pre-made, uh, is there? What was that? There's not like pre-made, is there? Like you can just buy there vats is, of goo? There, there is some pre-made, but they're, they're always for plants that I'm not interested in, like azaleas or rhodes, rhododendrons. What do I care about rhododendrons? Or like, you know, various woody plants. Now, there is a very recreational plant. <laughs> oh. it's, a, it's very, very easy to get that uh, pre-made. Uh, that is a very, very common, very, very common combination of uh, two phytohormones. And we use both of them in aquatic plant tissue culture, actually. Um, 
One of them, the cytokinin that we use in tissue culturing this uh, rather psychedelic plant, is called TDZ, thydiazerone. And it's actually not a cytokinin. Technically, it's an herbicide. Believe it or not, um, there, there is a class, uh, well, not a class, but a family, a group of herbicides, very effective herbicides. When you look at them molecularly and you compare them against naturally occurring cytokinins, which are naturally occurring plant growth hormones, molecularly, they're almost identical to it, just a little bit different. So um, one of those that's very common in this recreational plant tissue culture is called TDZ, thydiazerone. Now, used in tiny, tiny amounts, it's a very powerful cytokinin. But used just a little tiny bit more, you've never seen anything kill a plant faster. So the other um, um, hormone that's, that's used in this, in this psychedelic plant to induce rooting is called NAA, naphthalene acetic acid. We also use this auxin, which is also a plant growth hormone. Remember I mentioned cytokinins create shoots. Auxins create roots, right? Um, and you always have to use them together in plant tissue culture, by the way. We didn't touch on that. You can't use one without the other. They have to be, at the same time, just more of one than the other to do, you know, to like induce shooting or induce rooting. Does that make any sense? It does. So, But is there like pre-done, I'm trying to think, you said there's some for a, a other brands. So let's just pick on the uh, Hoera Joanna plant that we're talking about <laughs> the psychedelic mm -hmm. plant mm -hmm. so if if someone because you again you said that was used for a lot of it so if you wanted to try just for funsies like you're <laughs> just getting your toesies wet in trying to do some aquarium plants and clearly this is a basic form of it that's commonly used for hoera joannas uh where mm -hmm. could you find this pre-made goo so you can try say some of your own like anubis tissue cultures or uh, hornwort if you're so wanting to be brave Right. Uh, well, well, for the uh, for the for the uh, the the recreational plant, um, I mean Google. I mean, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of sources for that stuff. Excellent. Now, if you wanted to get some of the uh, the pre-made, like like specific pre pre pre-made stuff for like azaleas or rhodes or or woody plants, uh, that that's another very really popular one for trees. Um, you could go to phytotechlabs.com. And they sell everything from the individual hormones to pre-made mixes. They sell agar. They sell scalpels. They sell Bunsen burners. They sell everything except laser beams. Wonderful. So you could go there, and uh, you could go there, and you could you could say, "Hey, um, you know, I want to tissue culture African violets." I don't know why you would want to, um, but. It's a very, very easy plant to tissue culture. Or if you wanted to practice tissue culture in your new lab, cauliflower. There's another plant that is easily the, just the easiest plant in the world to tissue culture. And you could just phone them up and, and say, hey, I, I want to tissue culture this one plant. And they will they'll quite literally put you on the phone with a botanist. Wonderful. So this is, you said phytotech labs? Is that what you said? Phytotechlabs.com. Yes, sir. Wonderful. Great, great company. Well, I, I think you answered all of our questions. We certainly got a crash course on tissue cultures. And the only thing we really didn't talk about is price point. And if you guys are interested in tissue cultures, the you know, average market price, for it's very much plant dependent. 
but they start at around like 15 bucks, 20 bucks for the average tissue culture. Again, if you get those crazy ones, th- there's no stopping that price limit from going up for rare plants or difficult, uh, difficult to grow plants. I've even seen some tissue cultures for, you know, 120 bucks easy for just a small Dixie cup tissue culture. But if you guys are looking for some fun tissue cultures and you want to get your foot in the door and try some out, go to joeshrimpshack.com. He's the sponsor of this uh, episode, and you'll find yourself tissue cultures listed right now. I believe they're on sale for $8.99, and you can get yourself 15% off using promo code Aquarium, guys. Check out. But uh, again, thank you, Jason. This has been uh, fantastic, uh, fantastically informational. And, uh, you know, who knows how many people were... Uh, you know, on the mer- the Hawaiian Waters. <laughs> the what? I don't know. I keep making that a word up every time. Like Schmelta? I don't have to. We're just having fun being obscure. I mean, we could we could just talk well, about know, it, Jimmy. Just, just just make sure you 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 keep the you, you make sure that the uh, that the the media and, and everything for your Hawaiianjuana is uh, is kept uh, nice and uh, super antimicrobial. Right. Growing pot in the hot tub. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> it sounds like we've been dipping into the Hawaiianjuana. <laughs> just, just Robs. It's everything's legal in Oregon. Though, yeah, isn't it? I mean you don't have to worry about. I mean Washington. Hello, hey neighbor. Oh, what what goddamn uh, country just or country country state just just okayed heroin? I think it was Washington, wasn't it? No, no. South Washington Dakota. or Oregon. They Gee, decriminalized. It's not legal. Decriminalized it. Yeah. Every every drug is de- every le- every drug is legal. No, decriminalize. You're giving wrong information, sir. But- okay, not legal federally, <laughs> but legal statewide. It, it is Oregon. Legal. All right, thank you for confirming, audience. Is that what it is, Oregon? Yes, Oregon, Oregon. I I need someone to slap oh. me after we say this. We're gonna get fan mail now. Origami. Origami. Yeah. Oh boy. Jason, it has really been a pleasure. You guys, go to his YouTube channel, Redfish Bluefish. It's filled with fantastic content, and right now, really going through his new store. It's a fantastic place. Did we find out what the name was of your store? Uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll do some little shameless uh, self-promotion here. Please. It is Redfish Bluefish. Oh, the, the self-title for YouTube and the store. Who knew? Yes, sir. Yes, the artist formerly known as Redfish Bluefish. We can, we can say that. Wonderful. And does Dr. Seuss know about this? Just wondering. Uh, you know, I, I think I think he shoved off to this off of this mortal coil uh, some some time back. So you know, and, unless he's got uh, amazing legal representation from along, from from beyond the grave, I think we're in the clear. Yeah, you're good. It's not owned by Disney, so you don't have to worry about it. Nice, nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely, <laughs> definitely cower from the Disney lawyers. Oh my gosh. Yes, and the thing is, head. they got nothing else to do right now. Other than crawl up your oh, butt. Oh no! Well, they're definitely not busy over at the Magic Kingdom right now. There's not much, nothing magic happening over there right now. Nope, nothing at all. Oh. Well, I hear it's a magical place. Yeah, well, we're gonna let you get to your your <laughs> so, dinner. So is that box of cereal. But again, thank thanks so much, Jimmy. You got any last minute notes? I got nothing for you, man. That's so sad. Well, guys, thanks so much for having me. It's 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 so fun uh, uh, hanging out with you guys. It's it's a great honor. Well, the pleasure is ours, sir. And uh, if you guys like what you hear, go to AquariumGuysPodcast.com. On the website, you can find a place to donate, help keep the lights on, support our sponsors, and above all else, click that subscribe button on Redfish Bluefish on YouTube. Until next week, Jimmy. Bye.
Thanks, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. I never knew that a Minnesota accent could be so sexy until I heard Adam's voice. Go fuck yourself, don't you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's my boy, don't you know.